Hello and welcome to Article 23, the podcast all about making work, work. My name is Lincoln and I work with the MWIT team in the spaces of diversity, inclusion and belonging. And we are delighted to welcome Sam Wilde to the podcast today, who is an Associate Director at Arilla and has almost 20 years experience working in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander affairs in all of her work is involved in improving race relations and cultural competency, working in remote and regional communities. She has a wealth of knowledge and I'm so excited that she is joining us to share with us today. Hello, Sam, welcome. Hello, Lincoln. Thank you for having me today. I'm so pleased to be here with you. Before we start, I'd just like to acknowledge that we are all geographically dispersed today as we come together. And for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, we recognise that our country is our home to our ancestral spirits. And therefore, as a Waka Waka and Cobble Cobble woman, I acknowledge that I am joining you today on Turrbal and Yagara country in the Anjan, which is now known as Brisbane. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and any Aboriginal people who may be in the audience for this podcast. Today's conversation is all about having confidence in tough and uncomfortable conversations. And with your experience, I know that you've got brilliant insights to share around how we can navigate spaces that have a lot of eggshells and increasingly in our workplaces, in our lives in general, we're being asked to have these conversations. And perhaps sometimes we have a choice about stepping into the conversation or backing away but I think there's coming a time where we can't back away anymore. We are being moved into those areas, whether we like it or not, and we need to be ready for that. So let's get started. The first topic I know we want to dive into is bias and stereotypes and what we store in us. Obviously, this is essential before we go into a, a conversation on topics that can be a little political, that can lead to debate. What would you say is a, a way that people can confront that bias and and prepare themselves for the conversation? I think we all have unconscious bias that we are pre-programmed to see and feel environments or people that are safe or unsafe and that might be through lived experience or the way we're raised, our values and for me I'm constantly challenging how I see the world and the people within it and how I can make other people feel like they belong in a safe space with me. It is something I found that I need to think about every time I walk into a room. Have you found that there's a point where you don't need to think about it or, or is it actually a really important thing to keep at the front of our minds? I know I'm very conscious when I walk into a room that I'm usually the only person of colour, but I, I rarely would imagine that my colleagues in the room note that it might create discomfort for me, although I'm quite confident. What might be an appropriate way to acknowledge it? If I'm a black woman in a room full of white corporate men, I don't presume that they're going to give me any opportunity to share my voice, even though it might be an area of expertise for myself. And that will be based on, on racial prejudice, gender prejudice, but it could also be about my age. So one way to confront our bias is to make sure that when we're in those rooms, we give equal voice to people. Absolutely. You've had it proven, obviously, that assumption, 
that you won't be listened to. You've had that repeated a number of times. So you, you come into the room prepared for it because you've experienced it. Have you ever had a time where you have come in with that assumption and been proven wrong? Absolutely. And more recently, more than ever, I do often struggle to feel comfortable in a situation where I don't feel like I belong. But I have worked with people who carry the same value set as I do as an Aboriginal woman who are very different but see my true authentic self and are able to work collaboratively with me, giving me the opportunity to share my knowledge, my experience and expertise in a way that will add value to the broader work that we're doing. When that's done in a really safe and engaging way, I belong and I feel valued and I know that I sit at equal platform to my peers. This brings us to the second point, that idea of authenticity and bringing our values, our truth, and our emotional reality to each conversation. What's some advice for when we're in a tough conversation, it's feeling uncomfortable, we maybe don't feel safe, how do we make sure that we don't back away from our truth and our values and, and stay present? Often in those conflicting conversations, there are two equally valid points of view. When you put the two together, it can be uncomfortable and sometimes aggressive, but there is a way to be able to listen to what each other are trying to say. And with authenticity, finding a place of commonality, we all want the best for each other. We all want the best for our families. We all want to be the best humans that we can be. And in those uncomfortable conversations, a lot of that discomfort can come from what we think the opposition is in the room rather than human to human when we're individuals. Actually, yeah, there's, there's a lot that we have in common. I agree that those presumptions that we bring to, to conversations, particularly in Australia and particularly around race, can always bring some uncertainty and fear around awkward conversations about who we are and where we come from. And while people have good intentions, sometimes we make mistakes in those conversations and that can offend someone. And that's okay, because if we don't know that that's offensive, we're going to keep doing that and saying that and acting like that. But if we want to be anti-racist, if we want to be making Australia a better place for everyone, then we're going to make those mistakes and learn from them and do better next time. So in order to bring our authenticity, what does a safe space look like? How do we feel safe? What is, what is that in the room? A large part of that is about inviting people into the conversations and that they are respectful conversations, regardless of age, gender, sexuality or cultural background, that we're able to come together and we're able to encourage those that are less likely to talk up to have their opportunity to be heard. It is all about those voices and creating better outcomes by having a more diverse and inclusive discussion around the needs of everyone. One of the other things that I find is really important is no phones. I've thought about that a lot with Zoom and online communication because I'm aware that we've all got other windows and apps up on the screen. And so it's, 
it's really tricky to manage it. And sometimes people have their cameras off for whatever reason, or they'll be multitasking. And there are legitimate reasons. I understand that there are a lot of different demands on people, especially working from home, like a lot of people have been doing over the past two years. But it is important to create a safe space to try and lessen that distraction as much as possible, because that's when, if people feel safe, you'll get the true value of a conversation. It also reminds me of something I heard once, which I loved, which is ask for a story, not for an answer. And when we're in a conversation and we're multitasking, we're divided, we feel time poor, often we're looking for an answer. Our instinct is let's get to the point quickly and actually to really get to know someone, to really get to the crux of an issue, sometimes a story is the best way there. The context matters, the space around what we consider is an answer actually matters more than the answer. Lincoln, you've just named what we call yarning in the Aboriginal community, which is so beautiful because often we'll ask a question and it's a bit like a figure eight where we will have to give you all the historical context before we give you an answer. And it's a beautiful way of someone sharing their knowledge and experience, but so you understand how they arrive to that answer or conclusion. It's something we do quite naturally in our Aboriginal community. Something that we could all do more of, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. So we've looked at our first two points there. First is that baseline of being aware of challenging bias and stereotypes. Secondly, creating a safe space where people can be authentic, values-led and really present and mindfully so. The third idea that I think would be useful to hear your insights on, Sam, is around admitting ignorance or making mistakes. So in these tough conversations, in the effort sometimes to create a safe space, we can hold back and be silent, which isn't necessarily useful. Alternatively, if we say something and it causes offence to someone in the room, we can double down and try and defend ourselves or, or we can also make mistakes and then be so embarrassed that we've made the mistake that the whole meeting becomes about the fact that I'm sorry I made a mistake. So all of these different responses to a disagreement or a mistake or a moment of ignorance, how do we navigate that? Say, for example, at work, you heard a racial or ethnic slur being used that scenario puts you in a really difficult place around your role to actively be anti-racist and, and to find a way to acknowledge how that makes you feel uncomfortable. My first thought would be to be mindful of others, those in the room that might have been personally impacted by those words and ensure that they are able to be supported. What we don't need is saviours. In colonised communities, there's, there's lots of literature around what they call the triple M, so the mercenaries, the martyrs and the missionaries. The common commentary in Australia from the mercenaries is get over it. I didn't do that. It's not my fault. The missionaries are I will save you and the martyrs are I will die to protect you, which essentially each three of those removes power from the people who are marginalised. So what we know is it's important to be responsible for yourself 
your own cultural values and when you feel confident enough to be able to confront in a gentle and kind way what you set as a benchmark of expectations while you're present in a room. I also, if you are going to have these conversations, I would seek support and consent from the particular group that you're talking about. For example, for me, if I was to talk to someone about racial discrimination in the Aboriginal community, I would seek the consent of the Aboriginal people who may be working in that workplace, just to ensure that they're protected through that process. As I said before, while I might be on my white saviour horse trying to save the day, that also might make them more vulnerable in their role within that organisation. So it's really important to be conscious of the impact of your actions. I think if we are going to challenge these conversations, do so in a one-on-one -on -one environment. It's not about shaming people. We don't need that kind of public shaming on both sides of this kind of conversation. Have a one-on-one -on -one yarn with someone and often you'll find that it's ignorance, that they have done it before and thought it was funny, that they've never been told that that's racist. So doing this centres the stories around our diverse community and ensures that they're protected and safe in these conversations. It's such a great point that a tough conversation doesn't need an explosion. It's not all building up to a confrontation. It's not also requiring you to back away from it in order to diffuse it. You can be present and gentle and listening and human, deeply human in those conversations in order to deal with the discomfort and the toughness. From my own point of view, and maybe it's the optimist in me, I don't like to think that people are walking into rooms and certainly not into rooms with their colleagues and in workplaces and organisations like the context in which we're discussing these ideas. But I can't believe, I don't want to believe that people are walking in intentionally to hurt people. However, it happens and it builds up over time. And I need to balance my optimism with practically going, well, hurtful comments, offensive comments might be made, we need to be ready for them, and that it's everyone's responsibility to deal with them. And that's the role, I think, of, of a really good ally is to just step up and say, hey, don't do that, because I'm sick of saying it. Do you have an example of when someone has dealt with a microaggression or a moment in a room where you've just gone, ah, oh, I'm not going to deal with it this time, I'm not going to do it, and someone else has stepped in that hasn't felt like a saviour. I have been in a group of non-Indigenous colleagues where one particular colleague presumed because I had spent a lot of time living in the city that I was not a traditional Aboriginal and that while I am able to know my own songs and dance and celebrations, I still was not validated in the percentage of Aboriginal that I was in their perspective. And while I kept kindly reiterating my cultural authenticity and my knowledge and experience of growing up Black in Australia, a colleague of mine saw my fatigue 
and my absolute frustration in the conversation came and sat by my side and said, Sam, I hear that you're a proud Aboriginal woman and we're so lucky to have you as a part of our team. When that other staff member kept asking ridiculous questions, they said, I think that's enough. And they ended it for me without me having to leave the room. Really simple support that was provided on the spot to shut down what was a quite offensive conversation, but validated me in my cultural heritage. And that was by a non-Indigenous colleague. And I was forever grateful that I didn't have to explain why it was culturally inappropriate for these conversations to be happening. It's such a human interaction. It's, it requires listening and it requires maybe getting it wrong a few times before we get it right and that's okay. And it happened there in the room. And the importance of these tough conversations happening there and then so that there's as little residue lingering afterwards, which stays with us and mostly stays with the people who were uncomfortable and ostracized within the group. It stays for much longer. And if we have that conversation in the room there and then, we can move forward a little faster, push through that discomfort. So because I love a summary, the three points there, confronting bias before we step into the room, creating a room which is safe, where people can be authentic. And then if that room becomes uncomfortable and tough, being okay with staying in those moments of mistakes or ignorance or confrontation and dealing with it presently in the room. Being present in those moments of discomfort is vital. It's an absolute joy to speak with you on these topics, Sam, and I know Moi enjoys and will continue to enjoy collaborating with you. What's the work that you're really excited about at Arilla at the moment? I'm so thrilled that we get to work with businesses from not only across Australia, but globally to improve their cultural competency. And we're taking a huge step forward in introducing an executive allies session that has both a cultural and action focus and broadening that into a cultural safety program that really builds on dismantling those unconscious biases and, and identifying our roles to play within the Australian society and a better future for everyone. And I just want to say, Lincoln, it's always such a pleasure to see you and yarn with you, my kindred brother from another mother. <laughs> <laughs> from Ngunnawal land up to you up north, it is I feel there is a bridge between us. Always. Always. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. We very much look forward to next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.